1: Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Good to have you here with us. Um, If you're listening in real time, it is Friday morning at 9.05, basically. Good morning, everybody. What a week in Georgia politics, uh, not to mention national politics. It's been extraordinary. We have a great panel here that can help break down for us everything that's been going on this week and more Starting with Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the paper, and uh, he oversees the political... Uh, uh, insider blog on AJC.com, except for on Fridays when you have to get up extra early to make your way down here from somewhere in the far reaches of Cobb County.
2: <laughs> on on a rainy day, thank goodness for the coaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Thanks for being here, Jim. We're going to talk in a few minutes about a column that you will post on your uh, that's or is it posted at this point? It will it, it, be.
2: It, it'll be posted later today in a couple it, hours. And if
1: you don't like reading things on the internet, it'll be in the Sunday AJC. We'll talk about it uh, shortly. Next to you, State Senator Elaine Parent, a Democrat from DeKalb County. I'm not sure I've ever said when introducing you on this show. It's been a while since you've been on. You're my state senator, Elena Perrin.
3: Very proud to be. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Welcome. I have a few issues I'd like to discuss with you later.
3: (laughs) All right. No, no, I don't really. (laughs) Get in line.
1: No, yeah. (laughs) I I don't, actually. Uh, Patricia Murphy is back with us. Patricia Murphy's worked both sides of politics. She worked with uh, Senator Sam Nunn. She worked with Senator Max Cleland on Capitol Hill. Uh, She is a journalist now. She's... Writes a column that appears in Roll Call. She writes occasion, not as much for the Daily Beast these days. I don't think not
4: as much, but I think we may be ramping up. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, I guess a lot there is. I, I guess
1: there is. Mm-hmm. And you write for Garden and Gun, which is the real Thank like you. Uh, the whipped cream. <laughs> <laughs> don't top I know of it? Of the You're, <laughs> the tasty you treat. You talk to me about an interesting piece for Garden and Gun because it's cultural stuff. About tell us what it's about.
4: Well, this is this is a pitch, so it hasn't gone anywhere oh, yet. Right. So I'm going to respectfully decline until oh, okay. until okay. I sign oh, my contract. Okay. I
1: didn't realize that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And Eric Tannenblatt is with us. Eric Tannenblatt, um, I think one of the most influential Georgia Republicans. He's worked with presidential candidates going back to uh, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush. Uh, when Jeb was in the race for uh, president early on in 2016, you were with the uh, Jeb Bush folks. Mitt Romney uh, is someone you've spent a lot of time working with. Eric has been one of the biggest bundlers in the South for quite a long time, but also um, somebody who ha- gives advice to these uh, candidates. And we could take you back to Paul Coverdale in the state Senate. You've had a long history. Sonny we- Purdue, Sunny, former chief of staff for Sonny Perdue. Um, so welcome. Glad to have you back with us. Glad to be here. Uh, Jim, let's get started. Uh, we spent a couple of days as did most journalists, talking about the fact that there was this interesting clash going on in the legislature at a bill, H- HB, House Bill 757, which would have changed the way in which Georgia uh, Georgians would have voted for what we're calling Senate seat number two, the seat now occupied by Kelly Leffler, as we know, that election was going to put Democrats and Republicans alike on the same ballot, and that's the way it stands right in November, now. In way, November, way,
2: way away in November. Right,
1: a special election on the same day as we'll have the regular election in November. 757 would have changed that. 757 would have called for primaries for both Democrats and Republicans in May. Uh, we thought... David Ralston and other Republican leaders, especially in the House, were pushing for that because we thought that was a way to give Doug Collins some advantages over Kelly Leffler. All of a sudden, the air went out of that balloon like in a heartbeat.
2: Right, right. What's going on with that? Uh, Doug Collins enters the race on a Wednesday on Thursday morning. Uh, HB 757 went to the, the House Rules Committee, and in two minutes, it was withdrawn and remanded back to the House Governmental Affairs Committee. What one? What you have to presume? Uh, th- this was this was a th- this was a move that had been supported both by by Democrats and Republicans. Democrats thought it might help Raphael Warnock yeah. uh, get through get through a Democratic pri- primary easier. He, he announced on Thursday. Uh, of course, the governor had threatened a veto, and uh, and. F- what what we have to interpret we have to interpret that uh, that withdrawal as a kind of a signal that that there was not a major a support for a majority of the the Republican caucus uh, and and so uh ralston and or or whoever was pushing this didn't want to be seen as just allying with a minority of republicans and with democrats that would have been that would have been uh poor politics in the state capitol
1: patricia gets it's a little there's a lot to unpack but to just walk it through it a bit uh the the presumption was that doug collins is got going to have the backing of people like david ralston in the state house a a May primary probably would have worked to his advantage because it would have come up sooner. It wouldn't have given Kelly Leffler as much time to make sure people knew who she was. This was the thinking at least. Um, and as Jim points out on the Democratic side, there was d- some Democrats supported it because they think they would have had a unity candidate, probably Raphael Warnock. All right, all that said, this put Kemp against Ralston, just one more of the battles they are gonna fight over the budget already and it looks like Kemp won round one on this thing by this bill suddenly disappearing.
4: Well, it was a knockout in the first round, I think <laughs> yeah. you'd have to say. It was, I think, in the first place, extraordinary that this popped out of the Government Affairs Committee so quickly. An original, more vanilla election reform bill had been introduced, and then there was a substitute popped in there really quickly um, that would have moved the jungle primary, which is such a huge uh it's just an important race. It's something that everybody's talking about. The Kelly Loeffler appointment has been controversial in some circles. And the fact that legislators would, would, address it so quickly in a way that I think would have clearly helped Doug Collins, to me, was looking like a like a little palace coup coming out against Kemp and the White House. Yeah. Um, and then uh, but I think that Jim really hit the nail on the head. If you're not going to, you cannot take that vote if you're not going to win Why it. Why
1: against the White House, too, since the White House has certainly not weighed in on whether they prefer Leffler over Collins? And some think the White House may prefer Collins.
4: I think so, but I think also uh, the president has been very supportive of Leffler in the days since that she's been appointed, has okay. gone out of his way to tweet about her, to say, Kelly, you're doing a great job. Thanks for being here. I think he's starting to put his weight, at least publicly, behind Leffler oh, okay.
5: I, I also think taking the personalities out of it, and I know we all like to talk about the palace intrigue, I think the bigger issue, too, is you're in the middle of an election and don't change the rules in the middle of the election. And, you know, having been around politics for 30 years here in this state, Every time we tinker with the election law, it always backfires. Yeah. You know, People have intention. Well, they have you, these intentions.
1: So that's the advice you'd send perhaps to the secretary of state who instead of following state statute and holding qualifying for Senate seat number two, 60 days before that election, wants to have qualifying for everything in May. Don't tinker with it. I don't know. That's up to people <laughs> like Elena <laughs> to decide. <laughs> right, well, let me get to okay. Elena first, Jim. Um, Senator, one of the other things I think that may have been on the minds of Republicans in the House was there was great uncertainty. Even if they had been able to come up with a veto-proof majority in the House on this bill, there were a lot of questions as to whether your body, the Senate, would have gone along, and I don't think they wanted to risk losing there as well. Do you think right. that's true? I,
3: I think, well, and I think that the lieutenant governor, Jeff Duncan, so far this session, as some of these battles have, un- have unfolded, indicate gives the indication more that he's on Team Kemp. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I don't really think that this um, legislation would have come up in the Senate. And so I was wondering if the pullback meant more that this had been a little bit of a flare, or mm-hmm. you know, sort of a, a jujitsu move by the Speaker, you know, to show Kemp, listen, I have a lot of power here. And it's a there's a warning sign, but we're not actually going to do it right now.
2: Yep. Uh Two things. Number one, I, I think I think Elaine is right. I think it sets up a talking point. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, a, a legislative debate has pretty much ended. And now the rhetorical debate on the campaign trail becomes becomes who should pick the Republican nominee? Should it be the the, the GOP base or should it be these four million voters? Uh, 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 Democrats, Republicans, and Independents in November. That's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of where uh, Collins is, is heading. The one precedent, uh, I would note the, 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 the most direct precedent we have for this is uh, Jimmy Carter was elected governor in 1970. Uh, almost as soon as he was inaugurated, Richard B. Russell died. Mm-hmm. Senator Russell died, okay? And Carter quickly a- appointed David Gambrell to replace him. And of course, we all know the story. This was it was a, it was kind of a jungle, uh, democratic primary. And Sam Nunn came up and beat him. Okay, and the difference was, uh, it, 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 difference then was that as soon as Jimmy Carter was sworn into office, he became a lame duck. Yeah. Governors were were restricted to one one term at that point. So there was less there was less danger in confronting a governor, uh, over, over over a key appointment like this.
1: You know, Eric, you made the point a couple minutes ago. Essentially, what you said is this stuff about when the whether it's a primary or whether it's a jungle primary is inside baseball. Essentially, is what you said, and I wonder if that's not true. I wonder if voters, you know, I, we hear we've heard this argument that kind of argued passionately by the people who want the primary. No, the parties deserve an opportunity to select their candidate in a primary. I don't. Do voters care about? I mean, I get that that matters to those people who are active in the party, but I don't think voters care when they vote as long as they get the chance to vote. Do you think I'm wrong? No, I think I think you're right, and I
5: think I mean the people around this table, your listeners, and the you know people down at the General Assembly have been following all of this. But to the average Georgian, they probably don't know what happened this week, yeah. and they probably well, won't well, if ever. they
1: listen to this show, which they do, they know well what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Patricia, you know what I'm saying, though. I mean, I I don't think. This resonates to say, "Oh, the Republican Party. Oh, the Democratic Party deserves yeah. to pick its." No, you agree with that? No, I,
3: I no, I completely agree with with you. I don't think it resonates, and I think there are very good arguments to be made that. The primary system is problematic as far as um, the ability to govern the country, reach consensus, and that a jungle primary is a far better way to go because people can get their votes from everywhere.
1: Patricia, that is the first time this week that someone has suggested they like the jungle primary more than primary, <laughs> which I think is fascinating.
4: Well, I do, but I think um, I actually agree because voters would like to, um, I think, make some decisions outside of these constrictions that say you can vote for this person at this time and that person at that time. But if this person doesn't get through the primary in the first place, then you can't vote for them in the general election. I think they'd like to say, you know, like a buffet. They would like to choose what they like off of the buffet. Not to
3: mention the limited number of voters that come out for primaries, which are not reflective of the general election population, which is one of the reasons I think the jungle can more accurately reflect the broad spectrum of voters.
5: But what what this discussion is demonstrating is that this requires discussion. Yeah. And so form a study committee, have meetings about it, but don't in the
2: middle of an election change the rules. And, you, and that's what's going to happen now, uh, I, I think, but because there is, is sentiment on the Republican side. Uh, the Senate passed a bill uh, two years ago in 2018. Uh, sponsored by Josh McCune, that would have done away with jungle primaries in state legislative they races. They were just
3: bitter about Jen Jordan of winning they the were. election. Yes, they and, were. Yep. Yeah,
2: it was a reaction. It was a, a, a it was a reaction. But mm-hmm. but what I'm hearing about HB 757 now is that it will have a that they will that the they'll put more study into it and it will have a January 1st, 2021 effective date.
1: Interesting um, to perhaps outlaw a, a, a elections that are based on jungle primary right. elections. Right. Um, Jim, uh, you have not been here since we got the news that Raphael Warnock uh, had announced officially. Everybody expected it to happen. It finally did yesterday morning. Neither have, have any of the rest of you. And I. I really want to give you all a chance to weigh in. And, Jim, you've got some, I think, insightful ideas about
2: it based on what you've been writing. Well, it's it's what, what's interesting. Number one, uh, it clearly shows uh, that that Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. is the dominant uh, uh influencer in the, in the was, georgia democratic she Party. she was
1: very involved in, in getting him right. to finally say i'll run
2: right yeah. okay and let's 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 take uh, let's take a look who's already in the race you have uh matt lieberman of course who's who's joe lieberman's son the the former uh senator from connecticut uh you also have ed tarver a federal prosecutor a uh, former for federal prosecutor uh, uh, from Augusta. He's an African American. Okay, he is a more of a centrist. Okay, and we've we've all, we've all uh, and 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 on this show we've had Michael Thurman, the CEO of DeKalb County, uh, another centrist who is who is who who kind of pitches toward the middle. Yeah. All right. In Warnock, you don't have that. This is warnock warnock is a is a uh is a motivator in the mold of stacy abrams she he is he is there to turn out that base and so so you what's odd about this senate race that's forming is that okay collins is is kind of of that same role it's he's he's a he's a base candidate uh Brian Kemp and Kelly Leffler are the only ones who believe in the middle right now. (laughs) Explain what that means to you. Well, I mean, I mean that they're they're the ones. You know, there's a there's a you know the 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 formula in the South forever has been you know Republicans go right, Democrats go left. In the in November, you 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 converge on the middle and you try to pick up the independents. You've got movements in both parties now that say that that's not the way things work.
4: I don't really see a lot of evidence that Kelly Loeffler is in the middle right now. I think rhetorically since she has been since she was appointed, she has literally said, I'm pro wall, pro Trump, pro Second Amendment, pro life. And I've been surprised at her not talking more about business issues. And, and I'm sure that time will come. And
2: but that's that's the influence of Doug Collins. Yes. Right, she's
3: trying to keep him
4: out, but it was very unfortunate for
3: her that you know the reason for her appointment is let's see if we can appeal to some of these women in particular. Business-minded, fairly affluent, that the Republican Party has bled in the Trump era, and she has to come out and say all this, all this stuff that's counter to the message that really would have been productive for her. And meanwhile, she didn't even sound like she believed it that much herself. Yeah, well, so yeah. it just you know, She's the whole not thing speaking, went so good.
4: Well, she is not speaking the language that suburban women in Atlanta speak. It's a different tone. It's a different approach. It's just not. No, that no. is not going to resonate unless she changes quickly. No, not at all.
5: Let, yeah, let, let me just chime in here. So, first of all, to to your point, Jim, I, I I do think you have these candidates that are appealing to the base. But to your point about Brian, uh, the governor camp, and and Kelly uh, being more towards the middle, I, I don't view it that they're just more towards the middle. I think they just have broader appeal. I think they also appeal to the base. And but they also have broader appeal that they can appeal to independent voters as well. Now, with regards to, to Senator Leffler, um, I think we need to cut her some slack. I mean, she just got appointed, and she went right into this impeachment uh, trial where for two weeks she's had to sit inside the United States Senate, and so all we've seen of her was some of these campaign ads that she's been running, but she doesn't have a voting record yet or an extensive voting record she has eight months to really demonstrate where she stands on issues and i think it's not just um it's also style and the way you appeal to people and you know i i wrote a a piece in james magazine this month where i talked about it's not always the loudest person who's pounding on the table that defines a person uh you know it's it's what you do, how you work, how hard you work, and I think you're going to find that Kelly is going to be a hard worker for Georgia. I think she's going to represent Georgia values, and I think you got to give her some time.
1: So there I you go. Where's well, well, the wide. campaign spot, I, uh, <laughs> Patricia? I think I read it on a Hallmark card somewhere. You don't get a second chance to make a first impression. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, you don't get as, You. It's harder to redefine yourself than to define yourself.
6: Yeah.
4: <laughs> um, and she has had uh, videos uh, at, at the end of every day or not every day. But I think it, and I think it's smart to to kind of break out of this mold of how you're getting covered in the press and to, to say how you're feeling and to just let voters hear from you. Um, but has I think even her approach toward impeachment um, has calling it an impeachment sham. I don't want to hear witnesses. It's been very much the party line rather than a more nuanced approach. She
1: also decided to attack pretty vigorously Eric Tannenblatt's friend and former presidential candidate Mitt Mitt Romney, Romney. Mm -hmm. which I think stunned a lot of people in the United States Senate. Absolutely. Uh, Jim, Elena. Mm -hmm.
3: Absolutely. Well, no, I agree. I haven't seen any evidence yet of her trying to have a broader message instead it's it's been counter to i think the reasons that that but, she was but, but i think
1: what you're saying galloway is that given that uh... given that leffler is uh, i mean given that doug collins is so closely associated with trump has so vigorously defended him it sort of pushes kelly leffler and brian kemp to a place where they can't claim their his well, no, well, the first it was, line of defense
2: i mean uh, leffler was a, is a candidate who who was picked in part because of the circumstances of the election, because of this jungle election that we were, we've been talking about. Just to, to Eric's point, I, I agree. She's walked into a terribly a, a terribly fraught situation in the Senate where, where discipline is absolute. You no, know, uh, so, so my question here is, you say she's got eight m- months to make a name for herself as something slightly different. Where are the areas where we might see her kind of uh, put her own brand on 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 her own candidacy. Well, I, I'm not in a position to tell you what
5: issue she's going to ta- she's going to well, take just, up, just, and it's up and it and it and it's up to her. But I think the way she comports herself in the Senate is is going to is going to say a
1: lot. I, I would give I would guess, uh, uh, Eric, that given that she's a business executive, that that it wouldn't be surprising if she sort of follows the David Perdue path to success in the. 2016 election. Well she's coming
5: to the Senate she's coming to the Senate with a different perspective than most of, so yeah. most David of the Perdue. right right and look at the committees that she's serving on you know will she carry on some of the work Johnny Isaacson was doing with regards to the VA she has an ag background she grew up on a farm what mm-hmm. is she going to do with regards to that I just I just think that. it's
3: a little difficult to appoint somebody who's never been elected to anything who who one of the primary criteria appears to have been her wealth and i just think that turns a lot of people off All right.
1: Let me let me if you don't mind, we're going to have a lot of time to talk about this. I we spent a lot of time on Kelly Loeffler and and the um, Republicans, especially yesterday. Of course, Raphael Warnock, could I let me change the subject just slightly if I could. And Jim, this is still developing news. Let's talk about the Senate race in a different way, particularly Senate race. Number one, today is the deadline for all candidates in state office uh, wide offices. To, or in state offices, to uh, uh, file uh, their fourth quarter financial f- figures. We've already heard from Asaf, who told us he'd raised $2 million since getting into this race. You now have the latest figures from David Perdue.
2: Yeah, yeah, $2.5 million this quarter, as... $8 million in cash on hand. Yeah, all right. That, that is, that's, that's impressive.
3: A formidable yeah. war chest. Okay, yes.
2: so here, Elena, is what I think is worth
1: noting today. We have not heard from the other Democratic candidates, the prominent ones. We haven't yet heard from Teresa Tomlinson. We haven't yet heard from Sarah Amico. If they had great numbers, we almost certainly would have heard from them by now. So um, probably the expectation is they're, they're going to show that they're continuing to find it more difficult to find the money they need. Is that a fair assumption?
3: Well, I'm not sure if you're – Yeah, we don't maybe know. Maybe you would have gotten a press release. I, I might not have. So, But, I mean, I do think that people are still evaluating their choices. I think it can be difficult to break out in an election cycle where you've also got you know presidential races and now you have – two senate contests and so um primary donors um active democrats that do want to support the candidate are evaluating to see who who they think really is going to emerge very strong,
4: and that might mean that they're they're holding the purse strings a little closer still. Patricia, right now. Mm-hmm. I
1: saw released his numbers weeks ago.
4: Yeah, I would love to see a, a breakdown of where his money is coming from. Yeah. he has this enormous grassroots network through Act Blue that he um, was able to build during that special primary election. It's probably the most valuable thing he got coming out of there um, was this national name ID and the ability to go on MSNBC in prime time to talk about what he's doing. Um, that is just so hard to replicate as a traditional candidate like somebody like Teresa Tomlinson. I I don't know a lot about her fundraising operation, but I believe, like most candidates, it's that call time, just the call after call after call. And just every dollar is a battle. Yeah. And also mm-hmm. has a really different funding model that, that will benefit him. It won't make the difference, but it's going to help a lot.
5: And, and how much of that $2 million is money raised this quarter or cash on hand I, versus – Money that he had that he transferred
1: over. I, I know. I think.
3: Most, what, I, I believe most of it's raised since believe, he announced getting in yes, the race. I
1: believe the way they framed that, and I'll look it up, or somebody can look it up for us. Was this is how much they've raised since he got into this. That's right. This race so how so david purdue has eight million you said
5: cash on hand how much does john ossoff have cash on hand
1: we will see that number coming in at some point but i think
5: it's going to make it really difficult for people like teresa tomlinson and sarah riggs and miko's you know with with david purdue having eight million dollars who is going to
2: want to invest in in those yeah in 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 a primary that it it is going to make it difficult once you get past the primary though I think yeah. uh, David Perdue's eight million dollars becomes less significant yeah. because Absolutely. you because you have two Senate races you will have yeah. you will have the, the DSEC, uh working working Georgia very, very hard well,
3: yeah, and the presidential I yeah. mean and the presidential. you know let's not forget we're, 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 everyone will be paying attention. I, yeah, in gotta, well, election. it depends
5: on who the Democrats nominate. I mean no no Dem- I think yeah.
3: everyone all Democrats will be paying attention to all three of those races.
1: I gotta get to a break, but Patricia said an interesting thing, Jim. She talked about, you gotta work the phones. Every candidate, you gotta set aside phone time to call. Tannenblatt knows that better than anybody. I'm Quick personal story. In 1988, I was invited to spend a few days with Richard Gephardt when he was running for president. And on the first day of our stop, uh, he went into the office of a congressman in uh, South Florida. I don't remember who the congressman was. And he went into a room. I said, what are you going to do now, uh, 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 Congressman? And he said, I'm going to work the phones. I said, do you mind if I listen in? And he allowed me, without my camera, to go in and sit with him as he made the phone calls, went through the cards from his staff. And it, I was stunned by it because it suddenly, Jim, I realized it doesn't matter if you're running for city council of Macon, Georgia, or president of the United States. You work those phones. And, Elena and, Parent knows that,
2: right? And almost every yes, uh, every politician uh. finds it distasteful. I've only found one person who really liked it, and that was Roy Barnes. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, it's,
5: and, and it's, it's easier when you have congressman or senator right. in front of your name right. than right. someone who
3: absolutely. You're going to get the money just. They all just have their, their list and they say, all right, and they dole it out. So when you're an incumbent, you're going to have some money coming to you.
1: All right, we'll watch throughout the day as, uh, as uh, the political insider, AJC.com, uh, releases it. We'll see the figures as they come in. Let's do this. Let's get a break out of the way. You're, uh, this is Political Rewind. We'll be back in a moment. <laughs>
0: Peter Sagel here. We here at Wait, Wait, love the Fox Theater in Atlanta and are delighted to be coming back. Join us at the beautiful Fox Theater on Thursday, March 12th. Right now, you can receive your tickets before they go on sale to the public. Here's how. Go to
4: gpb.org slash wait, wait. That's gpb.org slash wait, wait.
0: And thanks. Support for GPB comes from generous listeners like you. And Columbus's River Center for the Performing Arts, presenting the national tour of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats with all-new lighting and choreography. Winner of seven Tony Awards, including Best Musical, February 11th and 12th, RiverCenter.org. And Cigna. Cigna is committed to improving the health, well-being, and peace of mind of those they serve along with their communities, just like here in Georgia. Cigna, together all the way. Learn more at Cigna.com slash take (laughs) control.
1: Welcome back to Political Rewind. State Senator Elena Parent, Jim Galloway, Patricia Murphy, Eric Tannenblatt uh, with us in the studio today. Uh, Elena, let me ask you about this first because uh, you would be interested in your thoughts on this as a state senator. Uh, Brad Raffensperger's office uh, announced that they are going to propose a new election rule which would uh, which would eliminate manual hand recounts of ballots in a contested election, they are going to propose that we simply run the ballots back through the same scanners that counted the votes in the first place. I assume there's going to be some significant pushback. Voter integrity groups are already questioning. Well, I mean,
3: a couple of points on this. First of all, this is what I feared and is one of the points I made on our debate last year on HB 316, because you could tell from the language in the bill that they weren't actually serious about requiring true robust post-election audits, um, which is sort of part of that same this same conversation. And um, also, you know, voters are extremely nervous about the idea that the barcode is the actual vote of record because they can't read it. So then why even have the voter verifiable text. Another point is that if you're just going to simply run barcodes back through the scanners, that's the same as the way we were doing, quote unquote, recounts under the old machines, where there wasn't really such a thing as a recount because all you did is press go again because there was no paper of record. So if we're going to do it the exact same way, why on earth should Georgia voters Uh, feel, feel better about the system that we have set up?
1: Patricia, it is somewhat surprising in an age when people are more suspicious, some people are more suspicious than ever about, uh... The validity of election uh... results and I, maybe we'll hear a really valid reason from raffensperger's office i haven't seen that yet and maybe he has it but it's surprising that this is a time when you'd think you'd want to do everything to convince people that their votes do count appropriately. Yeah,
4: and I do think right now you have to go above and beyond uh, what is simply required by law um, to really give Americans confidence in these election results coming up because we—it it is just a known fact that there has been election interference by multiple foreign state actors. And uh, there have been multiple attempts and many successful attempts to infiltrate state government systems by foreign actors. Um, And that is continuing to happen. And if you listen to any of these, uh, not Intel hearings, but uh, uh, DOD hearings or open hearings, uh, the intelligence community will tell members of Congress again and again, um, as recently as last month, there are people trying to infiltrate and influence these elections. So, and Americans hear that information. It's on their minds. And so to not have what is just an easily understandable concept of a hand. Recount to leave it all up to technology um, that may or may not be able to be manipulated in the minds of people. Maybe it's not. Maybe it just can't be manipulated. But for people to not know that there is, there, there could be a piece of paper and you could just count it, and then let, and and that is the backup. I think it's a mistake not to give extra confidence in an era like this. You
2: wanna... Yeah, uh, Bill, you've got what you've got is you've got you've got these the the voter suspicions. That are that are kind of well founded and, and are being stoked, uh, right now. But by, by what we're hearing out of national security officials, the other the other shoe in this in this thing is, are are is, is the expense issue is are the, the, the county officials who have to pay for all this raffensperger's office has to pay for all this and i think that is i mean i i think that's what this is this is a this is a this is a contest between you know uh uh voter voter security and voter voter uh, confidence in the system and what it actually costs because hand-counted hand, hand-counted ballots uh in a in a in a sudden election, are, are, that's that's a very expensive thing.
3: Well, but it's only it's going to be very few because it, sure. yeah, mm-hmm. it, it'll be it would be very few. But you few don't know elections. you don't know where those and, recounts are going to be way, happening. by the way, we could have much more cheaply bought hand paper ballots. And apparently, it was so important that we buy these electronic things in the first place. The cost was not an issue at that point. So, but it's only a cost when voters need to feel secure in the mm-hmm. where, where we don't well, do it.
5: No, I was just saying I have confidence in the Secretary of State, and I think we owe it to him to explain the rationale behind this i don't know if it's just budgetary this is really not a partisan issue because there are people that question the integrity of elections on on on, on both sides and i think you know given that we're about to uh, have new voting machines and people are, you know, you know, wonder if this is all going to work. I think the
2: secretary of state needs to uh, explain the rationale. And, right. and so far he has not. And, right. and, and the problem for Raffensperger is that he has got statements on the record. We've got him quoted as saying, because we have a human readable ballot and, and that it drops into a box, we'll be able to do a physical recount that's the, uh, I mean this 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 yep. rule that they've they've yep. pitched is directly mm-hmm. uh, contradictory. So
1: here's the ultimate nightmare scenario, Jim. I mean, we could see close elections all up and down the Georgia ballot in November. But the nightmare scenario is if you think about those people who honestly believe that Georgia is the new Ohio in presidential politics that Ohio is comfortably read that perhaps Georgia could be in play. An election between President Trump and whoever the Democrat is on that ticket that comes within a hair's breadth of one another, you're talking about not having a hand recount of the ballots and throwing it up in the air completely the question about who the next president of the United States is if you buy this notion that Georgia could be a determining factor
2: yeah yeah and, and then it goes <laughs> kind of kind of the say, court. no
1: chance, no, no chance. <laughs> i thought you were supposed to be saying yes you want to raise money for goodness sake <laughs> go
2: ahead you know, it, it is i mean this is and 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 quite frankly this is this is where the abrams camp has been headed since 2018 they have understood that the battlefield is going to be in the courts and it's going to be on, on on election and voting issues, on, on counting ballots. I want to jump around a little bit in the format today
1: and do something very quickly. And I know we've got to get you freed up because you're in session today. We are in session a, today. A rare Every Friday day this week. That's right. Session. So we'll, we'll get you out of here in a moment. But, uh, Jim, let me – you know, we don't talk about uh, – certainly don't talk about foreign affairs on this show very often. But Jimmy Carter now has weighed in very forcibly on the – President's new proposal for peace in the Middle East. Here's what he wrote. If implemented, the plan will doom the only viable solution to this long-running conflict, the two-state solution. And he urged members of the United Nations, quote, to adhere to the UN Security Council resolutions and to reject any unilateral Israeli implementation of the proposals by grabbing more Palestinian land. Now, we're not going to get into a conversation today on all the implications and what the deal is, but the fact that Carter has chosen to spoke out so strongly, trying to protect his legacy, is worth our mentioning.
2: Right, and and, and basically this the this this Israeli uh, Palestinian proposal that the Trump uh, administration has, has put together with uh, with Mr. Kushner uh, is I mean it it's, it it is. Uh, an ill in the coffin of the two state system, of the two uh, two state hopes i mean palestinians agree that that's what it is israelis agree that that's what this is yeah. and and that raises all sorts of questions uh for what the state of israel will be and what kind of uh, what kind of uh of of citizenship will be granted to 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 future Palestinians in in those boundaries. Patricia, the president has
1: been willing on occasion to speak out against President Trump, but this was a particularly forceful moment, I think. And given the credentials that he brings to this conversation, I think it will give some people pause at least.
4: Oh, I certainly think so. And it really is where he left one of his strongest legacies was in his um, efforts to forge Middle East peace. Um, And because he has stayed out of politics so assiduously and has spent so much time um, focusing on sort of less partisan issues um, or rather nothing not having to do with with the sitting president, um, I think it's something that people certainly listen to within the foreign policy establishment. I think there's a lot of agreement with Carter that this is not seen as a good faith effort at. Um, bringing the two sides together, but rather as making a decision in behalf uh, purely of Israel. Um, but 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 President Trump was absolutely clear during his campaign and really everyday sense that he would be the best friend that Israel ever had. He's been unwavering in, in his support and uh, more and uh, of, of, I, of
2: Netanyahu and Yes, the Likuts, I'm sorry. And Netanyahu and the in the Lik- particular, who Lik- has Party. also
4: been unwavering in his support of President Trump. Yeah. And so um, I think that it's just one of many uh, fissures uh, between uh, these two presidents. But it's something that um, I think is important to listen to. But but Trump has gotten a great deal of support within the Jewish community because of his commitment to Israel. And I think that's certainly not going to change at all.
1: All right. Um, I want to take uh, take up another issue. And, and again, Elena, I know you're going to leave in a minute. Um For people who are are fans of of George Public Radio, uh, I'm really happy to say that On Second Thought is uh, reemerging on air. It's on Fridays at 11 a.m. It's on Saturday at 7 in the morning. It's on Sundays at 11 a.m. And the reason I mention it now, Elena, is that one of the issues they're taking up on this show this weekend is uh, hate crimes legislation. Uh, We had a bill that passed the House last year that would have been the most inclusive hate crimes bill ever, would have included LGBTQ protections, which had always been a stumbling block in the past. The Senate, your body, uh, didn't want to take it up. Is this bill coming back this year? Chuck Efstration still trying to get this through?
3: The legislation is currently sitting in the Judiciary Committee in the Senate, um, which I am a member of and I'm very supportive of the legislation. It does seem that... The uh, in particular inclusion of protection for LGBT Georgians remains um, a stumbling block. It was a contentious vote in the House, and um, I am hearing um, that the legislation may emerge, but it may it may you know be amended um, to make the protection for LGBT people more ambiguous. Or perhaps we won't see it. Eric,
1: what it is, it has been typically, it's interesting, Chuck Estration is a Republican. He's the one who's pushed hardest for this bill on the Senate side. It's been, unfortunately, the Republicans who have been the ones who haven't wanted to advance it. What What is the value at this point in 2020? To have Republicans in the legislature who don't want to include protections for the LGBTQ community. It just strikes me it's contrary to where they want to move in the in the years ahead.
5: Yeah, I, I agree. And Chuck Estration is one of the younger members of the legislature, and I think some of it is generational. Um, I do believe that this would be if the legislation passed as in the Senate, as passed in the House, would be the first time that you would LGBT legislation would be in code that would be my and, understanding too right mm-hmm. and i think that that's what's you know yeah. creating some it's, challenges it's been
1: the problem for the last 15 plus years in efforts to get this thing through that's so true. it's gonna be interesting to watch it all right we're gonna take a break i know you want to rush downtown because well,
3: you i don't want get, i mean but I, I have to you know my job but i would love to say what you guys. <laughs> hey,
1: so hey let me so I, I remind me of what happens on the senate side of course what's interesting on the house side is that traditionally uh they lock the house at 10 o'clock Jim I mean you better be in there at your seat and you better be listening to the devotional
2: and you're locked in there while that's going on and, and it's the, the same in the Did Senate, it
3: the Senate? Having vote, I find you to be slightly less constrained yeah more by rules of decorum they don't actually lock the doors but so so we unlike in the house in the house I had to if you were there for roll, you were you, that was it yeah. in the Senate you can press since we run the the button for the roll call for a minute, you can hit present and leave (laughs) and many do. (laughs) And come back don't, in after but you the never. know. You,
1: you don't want to be saying that on the radio. <laughs> Anyone a, can a, watch a, the chamber her, and see her. it happen. <laughs> I'm not revealing any great right. secrets. <laughs> Senator Elena Parent, thank you so much for being with us. Have a great trip. Have a great day downtown. Thank and you. we'll see you on the show it's again It's been a lot of fun. Soon. Thank you
3: so much for having me, Bill, and, and
1: to all of you. While Elena Parent uh, takes her leave, why don't we take our final break of the show? We'll come back. Let's talk a little national politics. We've got an, an Iowa caucus coming up, and impeachment is still in the air. We'll be right back.
3: GCC is free to all citizens of Georgia.
0: The country mourns the death of a basketball legend. Iowa braces for a five way fight. And in Washington, the Senate
2: faces an historic moment. All you need in this case is the Constitution and your common sense. I'm Todd Zwillick. It's the Friday News Roundup.
5: That's next time on 1A.
2: 1A is this morning at 10 here on GPB Radio. You can also listen online, streaming at gpbnews.org and on the GPB Radio apps.
0: Support for GPB comes from you, our listeners. And Georgia Power, working to make Georgia the best home it can be, from empowering young minds in classrooms to protecting native species in state forests. Learn more at georgiapower.com community.
2: And Savannah Philharmonic, presenting a different side of classical music with Modern to Majestic, Saturday, February 8th, 7.30 p.m. at the Johnny Mercer Theater with pre-concert talk at 6.30. Details at SavannahPhilharmonic.org.
1: We're back on Political Rewind uh, as we uh, head towards uh, the weekend. Uh, Let's... You know what I would really love, before we talk, we'll talk a little bit about where where we stand on um, impeachment. But big weekend coming up, clearly, the Super Bowl. uh, And we've got dueling $10 million Super Bowl commercials between the president and Michael Bloomberg. We thought it'd be fun for you to see those spots. Let's start with the Bloomberg commercial that you'll see on the Super Bowl
6: on Sunday. George started playing football when he was four years old. He would wake up every Saturday ready for the game. That became our life. He had aspirations about going to the NFL. On a Friday morning, George was shot. George didn't survive. I just kept saying, you cannot tell me that the child that I gave birth to is no longer here. Lives are being lost every day. It is a national crisis. I heard Mike Bloomberg speak. He's been in this fight for so long, he heard mothers crying, so he started fighting. When I heard Mike Les stepping into the ring, I thought, now we have a dog in the fight. I know Mike is not afraid of the gun lobby. They're scared of him, and they should be. Mike's fighting for every child, because you have a right to live. No one has a right to take your hopes and dreams. I'm
1: Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Jim, Gallow- Jim Galloway, whether you like Mike Bloomberg or not, I think most people agree that his commercials have been extraordinarily well-produced. Um, I played that first in part because, sure, it's a Bloomberg spot. This is the kind of commercial that Lucy McBath can uh, uh, take advantage of, too.
2: That's exactly what I was thinking. Of course, of course, uh, the Bloomberg uh, organization, every town USA, was very much behind her uh, in, in 2018. Uh, the other thing I would note is that I believe Mike Bloomberg is going to be uh, opening the only presidential this office weekend. Uh, this weekend in Midtown.
1: Indi- oh is it in midtown
2: it's it, it's close somewhere it's, it's somewhere it's, close
1: yeah it's somewhere very close patricia um we know the bloomberg strategy we got iowa caucuses monday night we got new hampshire a week from tuesday we know bloomberg strategy is i'm not competing in those states i'm waiting until probably super tuesday really before he pick what expects uh to he hopes to pick up traction those commercials are everywhere is that strategy going to be effective. It's hard. We don't know, but what do you imagine?
4: If it could be effective, the only person it really could be effective for is somebody like Mike Bloomberg with absolutely unlimited resources he is not only he's buying so much airtime it's making it more expensive for other candidates to buy airtime he's blacking out the airwaves so that there it's hard to pay attention to anything else except the bloomberg ads and they're very good and for a guy who comes off in person as extremely cold and removed that was a very emotional ad that i think was extremely effective
5: You know, I've always believed that, you know, you can't adopt the strategy where you ignore the early states like Iowa, New Hampshire, yeah, like Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, Giuliani. Yeah. You could Florida. <laughs> In Florida, but this is a different dynamic, both because of Bloomberg's money, but also as it looks right now, it's very possible that Bernie Sanders uh, could win Iowa and could win New Hampshire. And at that point, that changes the whole dynamic yeah. because he is not, uh, I don't believe, would be a viable candidate nominee for the Democrats. Uh, and I think that that provides an opening for Michael Bloomberg.
4: I totally agree. I, it, it's hard to imagine What it could do to Joe Biden's momentum, not that he has a ton of momentum, but if to lose the first two states, he would need to blow it out in South Carolina. If nothing
1: else, his fundraising would suffer dramatically, right? Uh,
4: But then Super Tuesday is just right after the South Carolina primary. So he would have very little time to make up for the moment, to to really capitalize on that momentum. And I, I sense... Democratic voters getting very very antsy Damn. the stronger Sanders gets
2: and and uh, remember that on Super Tuesday the big new state in in the mix is California right and right now Bernie is leading in California
1: yeah. uh, but it is looking better and better uh, we, we were all uncertain whether March 24th was a good date to choose for the Georgia presidential primary some thought well gee we're gonna be out of the mix but it's looking more and more like the Democratic contest. It, it, it could be closer but Georgia will still be employed.
2: this is, this is this is going to be very much like the 2016 yeah. Republican yes, race exactly right exactly. And, and the TV stations are going to do
5: great I want to know if you've you know asked the Bloomberg campaign for some money to You're, run that
1: ad. That's
2: part of your pledge campaign. You know, campaign. We're,
1: we're public. Yeah, well, yes, but it's,
2: it's, it's, don't you have pledge it's week right, sometimes coming week. up here? Uh, uh, I, the
1: person I'm thinking about who's going to get rich this election cycle, as if he already has it, is Bobby Kahn, who's one of the one of the most respected time buyers in politics. Um, let's look. Trump apparently is going to have two spots. Uh, There are 30-second spots. He's already released one of them, but in typical Trump fashion, he's promising a surprise for the second one. Let's look at the one that he's already uh, let us all see. America demanded
2: change Donald Trump wins the presidency And change is what we got Under President Trump America is stronger, safer And more prosperous than ever before Best wage growth I think we've seen in almost a decade Unemployment rate sinking to a 49 year low
3: Unemployment for African Americans fell to a new low
2: Unemployment for Hispanics hit an all time record low
3: And ladies and gentlemen The best is yet
1: to
0: come
2: I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message.
1: You know, Jim, when I see that spot, hear that spot, what I think about is Trump's campaign team, they ought to do the the kind of clockwork orange thing where you sit down a victim and pop open his eyeball, force him to watch violent video. That was, if you remember, clockwork orange. They should do this with Trump. Pound away at him over and over again what the real talking points are that you could use to get (laughs) reelected.
2: right right yeah and, 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 and a couple point, points on this number one i found it was it, there, there was very limited use of trump's own voice yeah. in this which I, I thought was important and of course as you pointed out it, it was a big emphasis on the economic uh, uh portion which is which is his strength i mean I, i've said before this should be a ronald reagan walter mondale race it yeah. is not because trump is who he is uh the one the one image that's not in there uh, there, there's nothing from the July Fourth military parade down uh, 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 down the streets of Washington D.C.
1: Oh, do you think that means something, or are you just I suggesting? Think no, they... I'm, I'm
2: just I'm just suggesting that was a that was a huge oh. event that Trump wanted. And and of course, you know, there was a lot of video shown on there. And and that's not that's not part of his argument that he's making. Not in this video. Yeah, I I think that's a very effective. Well, as a Republican, I
1: assume you wish that Trump could be as disciplined as his commercial. Well, (laughs) but
5: it's patriotic. It's during the Super Bowl. But the thing that I took note of is the very end where it has text, because one thing that the Trump campaign is doing very effectively is they are collecting so much data And while and so they're going to know who their supporters are and they're going to turn their supporters out. And that's the that's the benefit of being an incumbent running for office, because while the Democrats are trying to figure out who their nominee is going to be, the Republicans are building an infrastructure and a get out the vote uh, operation.
4: Also, above and beyond that, um, you know, we talked about Trump's lack of <clears throat> of discipline. It is that lack of discipline that has his strongest, strongest base supporters willing to do almost anything for him. And while, and he he really is quite a genius at counter programming. So there's talk about the Iowa caucuses. He was in Iowa uh, last night and. People waited for 30 hours, started wait. Started lining up 30 hours ahead of time. I can't think of anybody else yeah. running for any office of any sort right now who can bring out those kinds of supporters. Well, Paul
2: McCartney or John Lennon?
1: Real, <laughs> real quick final note on that. Other advertisers, advertising age reports of the Super Bowl, are really concerned about these two political ads because they think it'll take away from the messages they, as uh, companies, want to get across. And so... Uh, the uh, network has promised what they're going to do is isolate the political spots in separate blocks so that they are not surrounded by commercial, <laughs> which is a fascinating uh, but, but, decision. But,
5: but to that point, I mean, typically the Friday before the Super Bowl, we're talking about what are the ads going to be at the yeah, Super Bowl? Right. And the ads we're talking about are the political That's right.
1: ads. Uh, Jim, we're very short on time, but we, we don't want to leave today's show without mentioning the fact that we learned early this morning that Ancox Chambers – a, a, a huge force in uh, communications, in diplomacy, in almost every aspect of life you can think about, um, uh, passed away overnight. Uh, she is Cox Communications, Cox Enterprises. You and I didn't really know her. We saw her every now and then. <laughs> no, we
2: just we just lived in her world, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and it was it was a big world. This is she is she is uh, she and and. Uh, 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 Barbara Cox, Cox Anthony, Kennedy. Uh, 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 they were the they were it's the daughters th- of of Governor James Cox yeah. uh, of Ohio, who was uh, a presidential candidate at one point. FDR was his running mate. Yeah. Uh, it was the last time we saw FDR walking, actually. Uh, but it's it's he uh, they built They moved down to to Georgia. They moved the operation down to Georgia uh, after World War Two. You know, they, they bought the Constitution. They bought the journal. They merged them. Uh, WSB came uh, was uh, yep. was only recently uh, uh, cut loose from the from kind of the, the, the Cox, Family, Cox yeah. table. And uh, uh, but until until last year, uh, Cox was its only owner.
1: She was a Democrat. She was appointed ambassador to France. She had <laughs> Belgium, a, in Belgium, B- Belgium. I'm sorry. She had a, but she had a home in France. She had a home in. I mean, she lived a full and rich life and died at 100 years old. She was a pretty remarkable person. I used to stand occasionally outside her. I was one of her employees. But when she had presidential candidates, Democrats come to her house for fundraising dinners. Uh, we were like stand outside the door. Maybe you'll get a chance. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, the other quick story I'll tell about Ann Cox Chambers. When Channel 2 moved into a new building some years ago, it was immediately posted in the day uh, that it happened as a no-smoking building. We were notified that Ann Cox Chambers was going to pay her, I think, her only visit to that building at one point. And we were told Uh, all of us, that if she lit up a cigarette, you better keep your mouth shut and not tell her (laughs) it's a (laughs) non-smoking All right, we're just about out of time uh, for today's show. Eric Tannenblatt, thank you so much for being here. Patricia Murphy, we always love having you on the show as well. And Jim Galloway, you'll be back with me on Monday when I think we're going to get a chance to really do a little bit deeper dive into what to expect at the Iowa caucuses Monday night. It's going to be... It's going to be fun. Aren't you, isn't this the moment that we all love to wait for, uh, Patricia, when finally the voters start to speak?
4: Yes. And I actually lament some of the candidates who dropped out so soon um, because I would have loved to see what voters in Iowa would have done with somebody like Cory Booker, yep. um, Kamala Harris. I, I would have liked to have seen that. But, you know.
5: And I, the impeachment t- took away from some of the lead up to yes, the it, Iowa it it Yes, it
1: certainly did. I am proud to report for the, f- I think, third, fourth day in a row, we didn't talk about impeachment once on Political Rewind today. You may have think that's a bad thing. Personally, I'm glad we leave that to the others, to CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. But by the time you watch this show, if you're watching on TV, we may know whether we're moving quickly toward a vote to acquit President Trump. I'm Bill Nigel. We'll see you again on Monday at 9 a.m. Take care, everybody.